Have you ever seen a cover-up? Perhaps you've been encouraged to participate in, a co in covering something up. Today, we're going to spend some time looking at the reasons why and the costs involved when a cover-up takes place. It was the perfect plan, or so they thought. After all, they needed to protect themselves and any residual chance of things getting out of hand. They had succeeded in putting an end to the threat, but they wanted to make sure that there was no way that this could ever come back to bite them. Three days is all that they needed. And surely three days was not too much to ask. Jesus had spoken of Jonah in the great fish and how um, Jonah was in there for three days and he used that as a sign. And the meaning was not lost on these same religious leaders. In Matthew 12, 38 to 40, we read these words. One day, some teachers of the religious law of religious law and the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. But Jesus replied, Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. And while the religious establishment witnessed the death of Jesus of Nazareth, this self-proclaimed Messiah, his followers might still cause some trouble. They might steal his body, and whip up some belief that Jesus had risen from the dead. All the priests needed was three days. But why three days? Well, Jesus had drawn a, a parallel between the Son of Man, the Messiah, and Jonah. Three days in the, in the heart of the earth, then the inference was there that just like Jonah, the Son of Man, Jesus, as he was referring to himself in the third person, that the Son of Man would, would with force re-emerge from the earth. Three days was also held uh, by some as the length of time that the soul would linger over the body, hoping that life would return to the body. For them, three days following a death, after that, there would be no hope of a resuscitation. So the religious need, leaders needed to keep Jesus dead for three days, to stop his followers from getting to Jesus for three days and stealing his body. In Matthew chapter 27, verses 62 to 66, we read, The next day, on the Sabbath, the leading priests and the Pharisees went to see Pilate. They told him, Sir, we remember that what the deceiver once said while he was still alive. After three days, I will rise from the dead. 
So we request you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everyone that he was raised from the dead. If that happens, we'll be worse off than we were at first. Pilate replied, take guards and secure it as best you can. So they sealed the tomb and posted guards to protect it. It's interesting that when you take a position um, on something, frequently uh, the lengths that people will go to to protect that position and defend it even when it's wrong. You do anything that you can, anything that you can to bolster, to argue, to excuse, to do whatever you can to remain in that position rather than admitting, sorry, I was wrong. The religious leaders were like that. They, by and large, took the position that Jesus was a troublemaker and a deceiver. The last thing that they needed was for this, um, uh, this Jesus and his followers, for them to come and to steal his body and then to make out that Jesus had risen from the dead. While the temple police, those under the leading priest's authority, could have guarded the tomb, extra weight given was given if the Roman soldiers were to guard the tomb. Perhaps the priests believed that because Jesus died by Roman crucifixion, his body was remaining under Roman jurisdiction. Or perhaps they wanted to remain one step removed from the um, impact on Jesus. Pilate complied with the request, but then added that the soldiers were to act under the priest's instructions. Pilate was savvy. The last thing that Pilate wanted to have was the priest come back and say that Pilate didn't sufficiently prevent the theft. Pilate was passing the buck back to the priest. Righto, here's the soldiers. You look after it. It's your responsibility. In verse 65, Pilate replied, take guards and secure it as best you can. So they sealed the tomb and posted guards to protect it. Chapter 28 of Matthew continues. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. When they came to, we pick up the account in verse 11 of Matthew 28. As the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priests what had happened. A meeting with the elders was called and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, you must say, Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping and they stole his body. If the governor, Pilate, hears about it, we'll stand up for you so you won't get into trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told 
to say. This story spread widely among the Jews and, is, um, and they still tell it today. We don't know exactly how much the soldiers saw. Perhaps Matthew's account suggests that the soldiers felt the earthquake. They saw the angel of the Lord rolling the stone away at the grave's entrance and sitting on the stone. But when the priests and the elders heard the soldiers' account, they decided that they needed to pay the soldiers a large bribe to keep that a secret. Lying about what they saw would not come cheap for these soldiers. After all, the soldiers would be admitting a dereliction of duty. The Roman soldiers failed to prevent anyone from accessing the tomb. They were asleep on the job. The soldiers' punishment could range from a severe beating through to execution. There is a sense of irony here. The very thing the leading priests didn't want to have happen, they paid the soldiers to say happened. The religious leaders also knew that for Pilate, the last thing that he needed was this story getting about that Jesus had risen from the dead. Pilate would not be a problem. Some 30 years later, after Jesus' death and resurrection, Matthew seeks to document the life of Jesus, the Messiah. And as Matthew writes his gospel, the cover-up, the story about the disciples stealing Jesus' body, the, the story that was spread by the religious establishment as the reason why Jesus' body had gone missing was still being circulated to that day. So why do a cover-up? What are the motivations and the implications of a cover-up? Well, there's power, there's position, there's influence, there's reputation. In the role of the Messiah, we see the culmination of three previously largely separate roles in the Jewish nation. The priest, the king, and the prophet. In the coming of the Messiah, Jesus became the ultimate in all of these three roles. And while the, the role of the prophet and the king was largely diluted and wasn't a, a force to be reckoned with in Jesus' day, the role of the priest still had substantial power. Power that they and the re religious establishment were not willing to forfeit to Jesus. Position. Like power would be lessened if there was the acknowledgement that Jesus was the Messiah. The role, the role of the religious establishment would shift if Jesus was acknowledged as the Messiah. Their influence would also diminish as people started to look elsewhere to wisdom and direction. And then reputation. As soon as the priests and the leaders of the religious establishment acknowledged that they were wrong, 
that they lied, what would that do to their reputation? What would people think of me? What would people think of them? Lies and cover-ups come at a cost. They cost those involved. It also cost others searching for the truth. And the repercussions lasted for decades. But before we point our finger at the priests and their cover-up, we best pause. It's a pity that over recent history, the history of the church, we've been prepared to engage in a cover-up. Cover-ups when it comes to our actions of the past and the present. Treatment of our First Nations people and sexual abuse of those who have been entrusted to the care of the church. Rather than being quick to admit our guilt, we are prepared to, and being prepared to make things right, we've been guided by fear. We've been guided by others who seek power, seek position, seek to protect their influence and their reputation. And what we've seen is the repercussions of this that lasts for decades. Lies and cover-ups come at a cost. But before we point our fingers at the religious establishment of today, we best pause. How are we at coming clean? Are we prepared to try and cover up and to minimise the impact of our actions when we've made bad decisions? We can blame, we can deflect, we can pretend that it didn't happen rather than taking responsibility for our actions. Work can call on us to turn a blind eye to something, to cover it up. Friends can say to us, oh, look, it doesn't really matter. But if you admit that something went wrong, even if it wasn't your fault, then what will that mean for your power, your position, your influence, your reputation? So we're tempted at times to engage in a cover-up at some level. Lies and cover-ups come at a cost. Coming clean will cost, but often the cost is much less than when we try to cover things up. We heard in the Bible reading earlier from 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 to 17 that Joe read, that David was the king of Israel. He had power. He had position. He had influence. He had reputation but he stuffed up and then he tried to cover it up and it cost. It cost the life of Uriah, Bathsheba's husband and several other soldiers. The cover-up cost Bathsheba and the cover-up also cost David. As we prepare to come around the table this morning and celebrate communion, we also discover that while God wants to uh, confront our sins 
our desire to cover things up. God also wants to cleanse us of our sins. We read of David's confession of his sin and his cover-up in Psalm 51. A Psalm 51 for the choir director. A Psalm of David regarding the time that Nathan the prophet came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. David writes these words. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sins. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proven right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. You desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back the, my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken or a repentant heart, O God. Look with favour on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit with burnt offerings and the whole uh, with burnt offerings and the whole burnt offerings then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar so what's the difference between king david and the priests and the soldiers it's not in what they have done not even in what they have covered up the difference is when we are challenged by our actions and our shortcomings. Do we run to Jesus or run from Jesus? The fantastic thing about what we celebrate today is because of Easter, because of Jesus' resurrection, because Jesus took our sins, our cover-ups and our punishments for this. We can have a restored relationship with the creator of the universe. 
we can become better. We can do better. We can live better. Not defined by our past, but, but de defined by Jesus' love for us that we see displayed in the symbols before us today. In a moment, I'll invite some helpers. And if you wanted to volunteer to come forward, um, that would be great. And we'll distribute the um, symbols of Jesus' sacrifice for us. We remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he gave thanks for it. He said, this is my body which is given for you. He also took the cup and he said, this is my blood which is shed for you, sealing a new covenant between God and mankind, his creation. As you're served, I invite you to take the bread, take the cup, and eat them when you're ready. And if there's anything that you need to do business with God over, then to make those things get right with God, take some time to pray to God about those things. To ask Jesus for his forgiveness, to help to be, to help to do, to help to live better. 